Hello and welcome to the Insiders Capital Podcast. I'm Pierre Daly, Managing Editor of AdvisorAnalyst.com. Joining us today is Michael White, Portfolio Manager for Multi-Asset Strategies at Picton Mahoney Asset Management, to talk about how investors can fortify their portfolios. Michael is responsible for Picton Mahoney's Multi-Asset Strategies. His previous investment work experience includes AGF Investments, where he was Lead Portfolio Manager of their Asset Allocation Mandates. Active in the industry since 1996, Michael has had many roles, including Director of Institutional Equity Sales at Scotia Capital, Lead Manager of the Scotia Canadian Small Cap Fund at Scotia Castle's Investment Council, and Co-Chair of the CIO Compliance Committee, as well as Portfolio Manager for the Small Cap, Mid Cap, and Ethical Categories at Strategic Nova Funds Management. He is a CFA charter holder and has a BA in History with Finance and Economics from Western University. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Mike, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Pierre. I'm really looking forward to it. So, Mike, before we get to talking, tell us about your role uh, your background, and why did you join Picton Mahoney Asset Management? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, Background-wise, I started my career, as you alluded, uh, almost 25 years ago. Silver anniversary is coming up, so soon to match my hair. Um, started at I, a... I couldn't, I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started my career at a uh, boutique investment counseling firm um, where many of our clients were established high net worth, ultra high net worth families, um, estates, trusts, and foundations. A lot of those clients that had, you know, established capital. And uh, it was an interesting experience being my first in the industry that uh, these were very wealthy clients. Uh, but the message was always loud and clear, you know, make me money, but don't ever lose it. Um, a lot of these clients didn't really have the means or the skills to necessarily make back losses versus many investors who are, you know, working through uh, a, a career or working life and, and could potentially make back losses. So, that was kind of hardwired for me, uh, just that approach to uh, building portfolios that achieve not just a return objective, but a risk objective as well. Getting that investor, you know, to the suite hereafter. And, and for many of these investors, again, their horizon was infinite. So a capital preservation mandate was always very important. So that always stuck with me. And through the iterations of my career, whether I was managing, you know, small cap mutual funds, working at a capital markets desk, or now for the last 10 plus years, you know, running asset allocation mandates or portfolio construction approach. Um, all of that experience has been really valuable to me because no matter how different those roles have been, um, it's always that focus on the client that I think I, I bring to my endeavor. And uh, you know, we, we do a lot in this industry, creating products, um, advertising those products and uh, having that sense of fiduciary duty to me, um, you, you might as well not bother with with the product or the approach, unless you're really focusing on the client and, uh, and their ultimate objectives at the end of the day. What brought me to Picton Mahoney, um, you know, obviously, uh, Picton was a very well-revered, uh, shot. I put a call in to Dave Picton and Dave asked me, you know, what do you want to do? It wasn't, you know, what are you good at? What are you capable of? What do you want to do? And I said, more than anything, I want to talk to clients. I really want to be able to explain to clients what it is that I do as a portfolio manager, why I do it and ultimately how it would benefit the client at the end of the day. And I think that 
created a simpatico where, you know, the role I have is not just as a portfolio manager, but as a spokesperson for the firm. Um, I speak to portfolio construction as a, a means to an end. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of people are really just talking about product in the industry. Uh, we speak about it a lot more philosophically, but that philosophy is ultimately put into practice with building portfolios that are very well diversified and, you know, again, seeking an objective that the end investor uh, could have in mind. So my role here is is a unique one uh, in that I do get to talk to a lot of client constituents, uh, but I think that that really appeals to, you know, my greatest sensibility in the industry, which is is that fiduciary duty. So you mentioned portfolio construction. Um, can you explain the portfolio construction framework at Picton Mahoney Asset Management and, and why it's unique from others? Sure. I think, um, you know, that term portfolio construction seems fairly intuitive when you hear it. It's all about building a portfolio, cobbling together your favorite return streams and, you know, trusting that those return streams will get you to your investment objective. But frankly, there's so much more to it than that. Um, we think a lot about uh, the quality of return, not just the quantity of return, i.e. the number uh, is always front and center for people. And I don't think enough people think hard enough about the risk it takes to get that return. Um, we are volatility managers. It's our expertise to hone in on the volatility in a portfolio and think about some of those higher orders to getting your return, you know, what kind of uh, unintended consequences you're building into a portfolio. And, and when we think long and hard about that endeavor, and when it's kind of the basis of everything that we do, uh, building portfolios starts to uh, have much more meaning to it. So I would say that, you know, this portfolio construction framework was born about four or five years ago, where we started to acknowledge that the, the model for uh, a diversified return, i.e. the balanced portfolio, uh, was really starting to suffer some challenges. And for the most part, I think it's an acknowledgement that fixed income as an asset class is challenged to produce return. As interest rates got lower and lower, those returns, you know, got narrower and narrower. And when you look back at a 30 or 40 year history of, for a balanced investor, fixed income has been a massive, massive tailwind and a diversification to the portfolio as well. So we had to think about, you know, what could we bring to a portfolio that could achieve some diversification um, not necessarily throwing fixed income out of the mix. It's still a viable asset class in many ways, but this notion of painting with two colors, you know, the Harry Markowitz, uh, you know, efficient frontier of just stocks and bonds in a portfolio, uh, that is now uh, seemingly a very, very naive approach. So for us, portfolio construction is really stripping everything bare, starting with a blank slate, uh, understanding and building a bigger opportunity set for investments. And, and where most people think about assets and what kind of um, market risks they want to take, we also want to complement the assets with new strategies that are less dependent or potentially not dependent at all on the direction of markets. And when you can add those strategies to a portfolio, they can not only enhance return, but also help diversify the risk that investors are taking in the market. So for us, it's about assets, strategies, and diversification. A better diversification of assets strategies that help enhance return and mitigate risk. And the diversification is the bow that basically ties it all together. Well, I liked, I liked the way that you coined the 60-40 uh, portfolio as a naive portfolio. Um, and it certainly has had the benefit of 40 years of interest rate tailwinds. 
uh, with rates falling yep. for that entire duration. And now that we seem to be at historical lows, uh, it's anyone's guess as to uh, when and how far rates, you know, begin a reversal yep. of any kind. Um, but it's definitely introducing a lot of uh, uncertainty and volatility into the market. And um, so uh, speaking of uh, improving portfolios or fortifying portfolios uh, versus maintaining a naive uh, allocation to stocks and bonds, how is the fortified portfolio construction framework applied in your strategies? It's the backbone of our strategies, frankly, uh, again, as I said, it's, it's about creating a much bigger opportunity set, but bringing much more skill and manager skill to the mix. Um, so a great example, as you alluded, um, you know, painting with two colors, stocks and bonds. What we hear typically from advisor, advisor clients is that, uh, fixed income is challenged. I need a new fixed income approach, uh, whether that is a direct fixed income strategy, which we manage or an alternative to fixed income, something that produces a lower volatility return that has a lot of, you know, bond-like characteristics. And we're happy to facilitate uh, those conversations and and um, and show investors what we do in, in those domains. But I think that, again, you know, kind of narrowing in on the tree rather than looking at the forest is missing a bigger opportunity set. So for me, as a multi-asset, multi-strategy manager, um, I can help create more diversification benefit than simply trying to plug the hole in the dike by fixing fixed income, you know, we bring a lot more diversification benefit to a portfolio by layering in, you know, strategies that are really correlated to the market. And when you can do that, I think, you know, the goal in portfolio construction is to create a, an outcome, a portfolio where the results, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And for an advisor client, you know, they're very interested in putting the parts of the portfolio together. Um, I kind of use the analogy of, uh, you know, buying and, and mixing ingredients, whereas, you know, here we've got the cake sitting in the window. So in a multi-asset, multi-strategy portfolio for us, you know, we'd like to think that we've created the complete portfolio. And, and from that perspective, um, you know, it, it acts as a one ticket solution for the advisor and investor alike. But again, it's, it's, it's really a keen, keen focus on building in diversification benefit that is not just by name, that we can measure it, we can manage it and, uh, and tell that story to clients. And for those clients that are engaged in, in this portfolio, um, construction or fortification process, uh, it's been very, very eye-opening. Um, some of these conversations have been very fruitful and, uh, advisors are not only using it as a complement to what they do, but in many cases, a core approach as well. Absolutely. I, I think there's a, uh, sort of patent misperception about the term balanced, uh, next to the word portfolio. And, you know, there's, there seems to be, you know, there's, first of all, we've had 40 years of what most advisors, um, believe is a balanced portfolio, 60, 40 mixture of stocks and bonds. But in fact, 60, 40, uh, stocks and bonds, uh, looks more like 90% plus equity risk, yep. uh, because of the correlation and because of, of the, uh, the way that markets behave, um, bonds do bonds have historically provided significant, uh, you know, or worthwhile ballast and yield, uh, to a portfolio through difficult periods. Um, but if, but, but to call that strategy, a balanced asset allocation is not correct when it's you, 
no. compare and contrast between balanced portfolio and balanced asset allocation. Exactly. Um, it seems to be a, a widely held misperception. What challenges do you think investors' portfolios are facing uh, in the current environment? I think it is just that that you alluded to, Pierre, that uh, there is a, an acceptance of the, you know, kind of a habit-formed portfolio where, you know, yes, bonds are challenged to produce the return that people want to see out of their portfolio, but they have all of this equity risk that's built up. And, and frankly, what we see in a lot of model portfolios that are out there for investors is, um, you know, a lot of unintended risks and a lot of unintended risks that pin on that interest rate dynamic. When, when we analyze the typical balanced model, a lot of unintended consequences have crept in over the years. And chief among them would be that in an effort to replace income that has been lost because interest rates are so low, a lot of people have built in dividend payers and dividend growers into their equity suite. And in many ways, the equity sleeve is now highly correlated to the bond market. Most Canadian equity sleeves that we see in model portfolios have a greater sensitivity to interest rates than they do their sensitivity to equities at large, which is kind of bizarre. You know, you've basically taken mm -hmm. an apple and turned it into an orange. Um, and <laughs> second to that, you know, in, an, in, an, in a further effort to create yield in a portfolio, investors have taken on more credit risk. So they're reaching out the curve in terms of risk on high yielding credit, private debt, uh, emerging market debt, some other sort of structured product that has a yield or a coupon to it. Um, and there's credit risk there. You know, the tailwind has been massive vis-a-vis -vis quantitative easing. Um, the Fed came in and rescued the high yield market when COVID hit. And, and credit is functioning fairly well. Credit spreads are very tight. Credit spreads being that cushion of safety um, there's very little room for error. And, and if you listen to our fixed income strategy, it speaks very acutely to that. So, so that's kind of the, the second risk in these portfolios. And then I guess third and, and much more subtle is that when we analyze these portfolios, they really have no diversification benefit from other asset classes like commodities. And in our portfolio construction framework, we have analyzed and defined the role for lots of different asset classes in a portfolio. Uh, inclusive of energy, industrial metals, precious metals, and grains. And in the typical balanced model out there, there is little or no, and sometimes a negative sensitivity to the diversification benefit from commodities. Now, again, for us, this is not about making a call on the price of corn or the price of gold. Um, you know, we're not as interested in the fundamentals of any given commodity per se. But more historically, what role can commodities as an asset class play in a portfolio to achieve some diversification? So a lot of commodities right. are sensitive to economic growth. Energy and industrial metals would be sensitive to economic growth. A lot of commodities can also provide another benefit as an inflation hedge. So precious metals, grains, energy also act as an inflation hedge. And again, in a world where we've had this tailwind of interest rates and really no talk of inflation until very recently, um, that's a blind spot in a portfolio. So this balanced model is is balanced, yes, but diversified, no. Uh, we think there's a lot more opportunity right. to, you know, rethink the building blocks of a portfolio. Uh, and in our in our world, in our products, we have a broader strategic asset allocation consisting of nine asset classes, each with a role to play in a portfolio. They are risk weighted, so we're not really relying on any one thing to pull the weight. Just as you mentioned, how you know, 90% of the risk in a balanced portfolio is equities, um, that, that diversification is already apparent in what we have as a strategic allocation to our multi-strategy portfolios.
so so yeah we've we've really shaken the tree on this view um the naive view keeps working for people though but again if you peek under the hood much of that is really you know um, more equities pulling the weight which means more volatility for the balanced investor and that's really not what the balanced investor is in for especially as they get older and deeper into their investment horizon yeah it's interesting that you know you should say uh peeking under the hood you know we've had markets come to um all-time highs or close to it um but underneath the hood uh much of the market has actually sold off yep uh, there's a significant uh percentage of of stocks that are down 20 percent or more uh underneath it and and you know it's it's not apparent to everyone that the stock market has been driven by a small percentage of names right again uh, you know peeking under the hood really reveals uh what's actually going on or looking behind the curtain that's especially a risk when yeah. you consider how much money has gone into, you know, the passive product, um, the index level ETF, because it just means more and more weight, more and more allocation is going to the larger, you know, winning stocks in an index. But you're absolutely right. I, I, I read an analogy many years ago that a bear market top is almost like a feather. And if you imagine the spine of a feather being the index, each little tine of that feather is a stock that is falling and, you know, bear markets of down 20%, uh, you realize that when a bear market is in full swing, more than half of stocks have already corrected 20% by that point. So you're right. It's a bit of a tenuous prospect today. And, and again, I think a lot of investors would be wise to understand, um, not just chasing the winners, but understanding what, what the, what the plumbing looks like in the market today. It's, it's not as pretty as one would think just looking at the broad index. Absolutely. So, um, Mike, uh, how are you positioning your strategies in the face of these challenges? Yeah, it's, it's, I think one of the things that most people expect and desire of a portfolio manager is to be tactical, you know, make timely decisions and assertive decisions. Um, most of our funds have the potential and opportunity to be tactical. Um, my multi-asset fund that exists in a, as a mutual fund, you know, lives in a tactical balance category. And the more I look at that category, the more I realize it's not very tactical at all. You know, there are a few funds that are, you know, sort of structurally overweight equities, but most of those funds look like a typical balance fund that are very interest rate sensitive. So when I say tactical, I don't mean, you know, swinging the portfolio around day to day, week to week, um, but really making informed um, and decisive decisions uh, on a probability weighted basis. So part of our process has um, a nod to the economic cycle. We try to understand where we are in an economic cycle at any moment in time. Uh, we do that on a probability weighted basis. So we're not basically right. making an all in bet. Uh, and based on, you know, pretty obvious things like leading indicators, um, employment, et cetera, um, some market indicators as well, we will make a probability weighted assessment of where we are in the economic cycle. Today, most of that probability is in a slowing growth sort of phase of the economic cycle. Again, I think that would be fairly intuitive for people. But what that means in a portfolio is that we're going to own or at least lean into a few different asset classes more so than we would have a year ago when we were in the early stages of an economic cycle and the inflation trade was working. You had energy, industrial metals, emerging market equities. You know, those were the asset classes that really provide a good risk adjusted return in the early part of a cycle. Now that you're later or in a more mature, slow and growth phase of the cycle, you want to focus a little bit more on 
quality, you know, developed market equities over emerging market equities, trim back a lot of that inflation exposure. Um, again, not to say that they will not produce returns in a portfolio, but the, the ease of those returns, uh, is not as great as it would be earlier in the cycle. Um, you'd focus a little more on higher quality credit rather than emerging market or high yield debt, for instance. So, you know, all these are little sort of tweaks and adjustments at the margin. But for us, um, you know, wholesale asset allocation shifts are really not what we're interested in doing because, again, if we're focused on diversification and trying to achieve a, a good quality of return over a cycle and over an investor's horizon, um, making those decisive calls might make you a hero, but you're often, you know, mm -hmm. too far to one side of the boat, as it were. And that's not the kind of exposure uh, we intend to take for investors. And it's really not the definition of diversification either. Yeah, there's an extremely uh, high probability that making any sort of directional call or taking any sort of particular vector in the market uh, could easily go against you. I've seen it happen dozens of times in my career, frankly, mm -hmm. and uh, I've lived through uh, that experience where, you know, an epic call will be right for a year, um, but the investment management graveyard is, you know, chock full of tombstones of people that were hot for a year. Yeah. Hard to let go. It's, uh, it is one of the sort of classic behavioral mistakes that happens right. is the, uh, hanging on to the old bias. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how are alt strategies expressed in investors portfolios? Well, today, uh, very little the alts I would say yeah. are, are quite <laughs> new to the Canadian investor landscape. Uh, we've heard about them for many, many years, uh, here at Pictimony, we've been anticipating the introduction of alts for many years as well. And. We were highly engaged in the regulatory process to bring alts to the Canadian public. And, and we applaud it, frankly, because it is yep. democratizing the opportunity set for every investor. Uh, previously, alternative strategies, alternative assets were you know, almost uniquely the domain of institutional investors or, or high net worth investors. So democratizing uh, this approach to earning return is, is, is great news, but it comes with education. Um, stats that I've seen would hold you know, the average Canadian investor has significantly less than 5% of their portfolio in alternatives. Ultra high net worth investors are still below 5%, but a little above the average. Um, and what we see typically, and again, when I talk to advisors is a focus on alternative assets. So oftentimes people want to own something that they haven't owned before. And it's usually something like infrastructure or a real estate fund or private equity or private debt. And those are all viable asset classes in and of themselves. But again, when you look under the hood, you'll start to understand that things like mm -hmm. real estate and infrastructure and private debt and private equity are all the same interest rate trade. The cost of money makes these asset classes function. And in many cases, they're a lot less liquid than public market investments. So they appear to be less volatile because their price is not getting marked to market right. on a day-to-day -day basis the way stocks and bonds would. So we have to really think about, you know, what we're introducing into the portfolio, whether it's further compounding the risk of more interest rate sensitivity or, you know, having an assumption that something is a low volatility asset just because it's quiet uh, in terms of its pricing. Um, when we want to engage with uh, advisors on behalf of their investors about, you know, how much alternatives should be part of a portfolio, um, again, it's, it's a unique conversation almost every time, but when you frame it, 
in, in a big picture, um, you know, endowments, pensions, all the big institutions that I'm talking about previously, you often see an allocation to alternatives uh, at or through 50%. And, you know, people often assume that that's only because they have long time horizons and, and they can afford to own forests and other esoteric things. But, you know, it, it's more that portfolio construction approach that alternatives can provide diversification, uh, differentiated return streams that are less dependent on, you know, the direction of traditional asset markets. And, and that's why these, you know, more sophisticated institutional investors have been using alternatives for gosh, 20, 30 years. You know, it all kind of kicked off in earnest with the Yale endowment back in 1985, um, going right. hard away from the Markowitz model. Uh, so yeah, for us, the conversation is, is, uh, is, um, an open one with advisor clients. Uh, we'd like to know, uh, what they feel is lacking in their portfolio. Um, it's a discovery process. And, and when we go through the, that exercise of, of trying to show where some of those unintended risks may be, uh, the conversation on alternatives gets significantly easier from there. Again, many people would come to us today and say, I just need to earn more return from my fixed income sleep. And we've got solutions for that. But when you think about the fixed income problem, it's a portfolio problem. And when we can crack open the whole portfolio and understand what's going on, um, it leads to much more fruitful conversations and much more meaningful allocations to alternatives. Yeah, I, I tend to be in uh, full agreement with you that, that, you know, the introduction of alts into the Canadian marketplace has really meant that uh, there has to be a renewed focus on, on learning about the new instruments that are available, the new solutions that are available mm -hmm. in the marketplace. Um, speaking of which, uh, Mike, where can investors learn more about multi-asset strategies and Picton Mahoney Asset Management? Yeah, well, first stop would be our website, uh, PictonMahoney.com. There is a wealth of information there. Um, there's a dedicated tab uh, called Resources, where you'll find anything from uh, manager insights, videos, commentaries, thought pieces. A lot of those thought pieces reflect research that has actually come from our portfolio construction uh, research and the white paper that we published a couple of years ago. So a lot of the material is more educational in nature and focused on portfolio construction. And we launched a portfolio construction consultation service, which is sort of the kind of epitome of where we wanted to get within our multi-asset and multi-strategy team. I've always thought of asset allocation as a service much more than a product. And that's exactly what we're trying to do for investors. So with my esteemed colleague, Robert Wilson, who I know you've interviewed, uh, we're in great partnership on trying to engage uh, with advisors on those conversations where you open up the portfolio, understand where those unintended consequences or unintended risks may be, um, not just a return-seeking objective, but a diversification exercise. All that work that Robert and PCCS does is basically built off the same research backbone uh, that came from the multi-asset and multi-strategy group. Uh, so it, it's a great integration of capability, and it's not, again, not just putting out Picton Mahoney's expertise as a product, uh, but as a service, and I'm very proud to be a part of that as well. I think that would be a valuable introduction to all that you're doing at Picton Mahoney Asset Management. And um, Michael, thank you so much for your time and your valuable insight. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much, Pierre. I really appreciate the opportunity. Look forward to chatting again. <laughs>